0: Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. A wise man once said, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find. You get what you need. Okay, maybe he wasn't a wise man. <laughs> All right? Maybe that's not the right description. But the truth is the truth in that statement. There are things that we want that once we get them, we realize, eh, maybe I didn't want it so much. Anybody ever had a puppy? <laughs> yes? Do y'all feel this, like I feel it? No? No? Okay, there's a couple of you that love having puppies, apparently. So when I get a puppy next time, I'm gonna bring them to you. You raise it, and then I'll take it back once it's potty-trained. So when you get a puppy for the first time, you realize that it is quite a bit of work. There are late nights going outside, taking the dog to the bathroom, there's cleaning up all sorts of well stuff there is um, training training it how to how to well not to do said stuff in the house and training it uh, how to sit and, and how to be obedient and all of those things training it not to get on the couch which uh that's tough. It's all of those things come with having a dog. And when we got our first dog, it was something that our kids desperately wanted. They wanted Ellie so badly. They just they couldn't stand it. And then they got her, and they didn't want anything to do with her. Cuz they realized that what they thought they wanted was not exactly practical. And it wasn't easy. And it probably wasn't what they really needed. Today we're going to continue this look at this tragic story of Saul and the rise of David. We've been going through this, through this sermon series on the person of David. This king, this young shepherd boy who became king and who united a kingdom and grew the, the, uh, the, the faithfulness of Israel and then he messed up some, we'll get there. But today we're going to look at this last hurrah, this last little bit of Saul's life. Now Saul had been appointed king of Israel. He was the first king of Israel. So just a little bit of background that's necessary to understand what we're going to be tackling today. Number one, Saul was asked for by the people of Israel they wanted a king Saul was their king they particularly wanted someone who could lead them against the Philistines someone who could be a warrior someone who would who looked the part who acted kingly someone who was who was intimidating to the other kings around them they wanted a king And so God obliged. He gave them what they wanted, but Saul ended up being not what they needed. He answered their requests. He offered them Saul... But as he offered them Saul he said that he's going to fail you and it's going to end miserably he didn't quite say it like that but more or less he intimated that that this is going to not be good for you but you want this so I'm going to let you have it and I'm going to let you see just how not good it is to have a king particularly a king like Saul. And so Saul had been king and he was disobedient to the commands of God and so God sent Samuel, the prophet, to anoint David. And David is this king in waiting. And Saul, knowing that David was a challenge to his throne, had been chasing and trying to kill David for a while. But now his attention has turned fully to the Philistines because the Philistines were aligned there at Jezreel Valley ready to take over the Israelites. And so the Israelites, with Saul as its head, his, their king warrior lined up against the Philistines for this battle. And so we come to this battle in 1 Samuel 31. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter of 1 Samuel 31, 1 through 13. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, verse 1. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malach Shu, the sons of Saul. There's something in these two verses that I like to point out when you're reading Scripture ought to jump out at you. Anytime there's repetition, you need to take note of that. What was repetitive was? In these first two verses, this word's used four times in two verses. Not the sons. I still can't hear you. Yes, but that's not what I'm looking for. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Philistines. Philistines. So, the author wants you to really focus on this. He repeats it over and over. I mean, it's almost useless repetition of Philistines here. What he's trying to get you to understand is that this is a battle against the Philistines. The very people that Saul was anointed, that the people wanted for him to destroy. They thought that Saul was going to be the ticket to their freedom from the Philistines. They wanted a warrior king who would defeat particularly this group of people called the Philistines. That's what they wanted. And as they looked around, everybody around them, all of these other territories and these groups of people, they all had kings that were warriors. And these warrior kings would all go to battle and win. And so the Israelites wanted that for themselves because their number one enemy was the Philistines at this time. This was a sea-faring uh, faring group that had moved in off the coast and was trying to take over whole chunks of Israel. Saul's only job was to defeat them. That's what the people wanted him for. And that's problematic. We'll get to that in a minute. So we see in verse 2 that all three of these sons that were with Saul are killed. Verse 3, the battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, "Draw your sword and thrust me through with it. The, Least these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me." Saul's fear was that he would be that he'd be captured and tortured or that he would be killed and they would mutilate his body. And do things with it that would, that would dishonor him and the people of Israel. And so he looks to his armor bearer. Who used to be his armor bearer? David. But he's got a new armor bearer because the last armor bearer who was faithful to him, who would have protected him now, he hated. He was fearful of because he pushed away and tried to kill him so he has this new armor bearer and he looks at him and he says kill me now so they don't mutilate me and the armor bearer says basically what David said when he had two opportunities to kill him I'm not going to kill you now the implication is I don't want to kill you because you're the Lord's anointed if I kill you then I'm killing the anointed one of God I don't want anything to do with that And so Saul, saying, okay, if you're not going to do it, takes his own sword and he falls on it. And then his armor bearer does the same thing. There are five mentions of suicide in Scripture besides these two, seven total. All of them are the consequence of evil. Circumstances brought on by disobedience and sin and evil. Every single one of them. And when the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities, and the Philistines came and lived in them. It doesn't get any darker than this for the people of Israel. Their king is dead. His sons who would take the throne are dead. David, who they loved, is missing in action. They have to abandon their cities, and what's key here is where these cities are. The valley of Jezreel comes into the valley of the Jordan River. And where it comes in, from your perspective, it'd actually be like this. The Jordan River's here, the valley of Jezreel comes in here. They're the two main trade routes. Jezreel Valley goes all the way out, or is the route out to the Mediterranean. And the Jordan River Valley is the valley of main trade north and south. It was, the, it was the spine of the people of Israel. It was the thing that held the groups together. It was the route that they traded on. It was their lifeline. And they've lost it. So not only did they lose their king not only did they lose his heirs not only did they lose David because he's missing an action they lost their cities and they lost their livelihoods all in one fell swoop. This is the lowest of the lows. This must be what Ukraine felt like in those early days of bombing when there felt like no hope. No way out. When an enemy was taking over their land and was swallowing up big chunks and was taking resources away and closing down ports and strangling off their livelihood, it was dark days for Israel. And there's two particular things that I want to take note of that I think have application for us. And it's this idea of what we want versus what we need. See, the people of Israel wanted this king, and they wanted it for possibly a good reason. But understand that their want wasn't what they needed. They wanted a king. What they needed was God's power, God's direction. God's strength how often is this true with us the things that we want like that little puppy end up not being necessarily the best thing for us how often do the things we pursue and the things we want not really equal the things that God desires for us and that's the case here Israel wanted a king, they got a king, but it's not what they needed. And in this pursuit of this king, they missed out on what they really needed and they lost everything. So the question, I think, for us is, do the things we want match up with the things that God wants for us? Or do the things we want, like the people of Israel match up with what everybody else has everybody else had a king warrior we want a king warrior everybody else had a kingdom and they had a, a crown and they had all of this stuff and it was awesome and that's what we want as a people because everybody around us has that the philistines have it the malachites have it the ammonites have it everybody around us has kings and there are all these royal things and it's awesome and that's what we want And we want ours to be taller and more handsome and stronger. And Saul was. He was all of those things. Tall, dark, and handsome. And strong. But it's not what they needed. Guys, if we pursue what everybody else pursues because we think that's what we want will be sadly mistaken and sadly disappointed the second thing I think that this reveals is that not only did they want something that the rest of the world had in the thing that they wanted a king namely they put a barrier between themselves and God does that make sense they didn't want God to be their king they wanted a king to be their king They didn't want direct connection with God. They wanted someone that would do all the hard work of relationship with God and just tell them what to do. They wanted an intermediary so they didn't have to really deal with God. They wanted the religion without the relationship. And they didn't want to have to do the hard work of being obedient to God. They wanted a king to do all that for them. I think... This is a warning for us. I think it tells us that if we put anything or anyone between us and God, and we expect them to do all the heavy lifting, we're missing out on what God really wants for us and what we really need, which is deep relationship with Him, connection with Him. And we do this with stuff, but we also do it with people, don't we? How many pastors of large churches Jeff, I saw your post today have failed recently over the last two years thousands of people put their trust in these guys, thousands of people follow them, they watch them on YouTube they listen to their podcasts, they read their books they're all jazzed about these guys and then it ends up that they're just broken people and if you're putting your hope in broken people, they're going to fail you every time. We do this with spouses sometimes, too. We, we, we bank on them being the ones that are spiritual. And we do this with friends. We put them as more important than God. We do it with kids. Kids become the center of our world. Now, all of those are good things. We all need those relationships, but if those relationships become more important than our relationship with God, or if we put that person over and above our relationship with God, or if we expect that person to be the intermediary between us and God, it will fail every time. Every time. And that's what we learn from the story about Saul. Those two things I think are very important for us as we work out our faith. Are we pursuing what we want or are we pursuing God? Are we relying on someone else to do the heavy lifting or are we taking responsibility for our personal walk with Christ? Are we putting anything above the importance of That, or we're pursuing anything that leads us down the wrong road the road to wants versus the road to what we really need which is God guys, look I want you to understand this I struggle with both of these things constantly I think that's part of being human but it's a battle that we have to be aware of and that's what this story of Saul is a warning for us. Guys, there is nothing and no one that can come between us and God. And we can't, we can't put any barrier there. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen at Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. Understand that for them, this was a holy war. It meant that their gods were more powerful than the God of the Israelites. And so they stripped all of his stuff, all of his kingly garb, and they took it to their places where the idols were. They took it to temples and they put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done what they had done to uh, to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons off the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh, and burned them there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree, in Jabesh and fasted seven days. That was a lot that happened in those few verses, so let me recap. The Philistines come, find his body, strip it, cut off his head, take his body and his head and hang it on the wall of a city like, hey, look what we've done. By the way, bet Shean sits right at the corner of the Jordan Valley and the Jezreel Valley. It's the major city in that trade route. It's right there. So everybody who was passing east and west and north and south would see the body of the slain King Saul. They would see his head cut off and the sons mutilated there. And they took all of his garb and they sent it to the temple as a celebration that their gods defeated Saul and his God. But there was this group of people connected loosely to the Israelites that were on the other side of the Jordan River. A group of people that Saul, when he was following God and doing the right thing, actually helped. He saved them. And when they heard what had happened to Saul, they were like, uh-uh. It's a 12-mile journey from where they were to the city of Bet-Shan. 12 miles at night over rugged terrain, fording a river. They went and took the bodies down so that it wouldn't be the shame of the people of Israel. So God wouldn't be shamed. And they took those bodies and they burned them, which was not customary. In fact, it was not the right thing to do at all. But it was what they knew to do. So isn't it ironic that even in trying to save face for Saul and his kingdom, the irony that they did it wrongly just is a total picture of what Saul did his whole life he just missed the mark and these people missed the mark on how they should have kept care of his bones but they burned them and they buried them and they and they mourned and i think this is the point of this part of the story all the israelites had lost hope and fled but there was this group of valiant men. And they said to themselves, this isn't right, we've got to do something about it. I think the point here is clear. It's always the right time to do the right thing. It's always the right time to do the right thing. It might be inconvenient, it might be hard, it might be dangerous, but it's always the right time to do the right thing. And so this, with this story, we get a flip. We get the warning of don't be like Saul, and we make this turn in the story of David and in this narrative. We make this turn from don't be like Saul, don't pursue things that we want over what God wants for us, And don't put someone or something between us and God. That's the warning from Saul. And then we see these valiant men. And the lesson is, but it's always the right time to do the right thing. And isn't that a lesson that had Saul learned, he wouldn't have been in that situation. Over and over and over and over again, Saul had the opportunity to do the right thing and he chose not to. And when we like him, choose not to do the right thing, we leave ourselves and others vulnerable and so the story of King Saul comes to a close and it's a tragedy it's a tragic end to a tragic life that didn't reach its full potential so my last question is this If your life were to end now, would it be a tragedy? I'm not saying would it be tragic that you died. That would be tragic for everybody around you. I'm saying would the story and the trajectory of your life be one of tragedy or one of great value? one of great accomplishment. Not because of what you have or what you accomplish, but because of what God did for you. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.